Yeah. <laughs> it can event. Yeah. I'm in the search for peace at least and a better spot to settle. My brother said the Americans have been- Hey everybody, welcome to the show Community Spread. I'm your host Kevin Lundell. Today on the pod we have part 2 of our conversation with Luis Lopez. And I hope if you take anything from this podcast, it's that the refugees who are currently at the border that many people want to demonize could be another Luis Lopez, someone that serves our community, cares deeply about our community, and that our community is better off for having here. Although the circumstances with which Luis was able to seek asylum and come to this country are very unique, the crisis that many who are at the border face are just as dire. And they could be important contributors to our society in the same way that Luis is. And that leads me right into the things I've been thinking about or the things I've been learning about. And I've just been thinking a lot about the two major issues that many are trying to use to divide our country right now. And those two main issues are immigration and transgender rights. We see dozens and dozens and dozens of bills that are being passed through state legislatures right now that are restricting the access of transgender children's and their parents' right to seek what could be life-saving care from a physician. There are already guidelines in place for physicians to follow that are approved by every medical association under the sun. But yet, state legislatures, mainly from the party of small government, feel like it is their right to step in and decide what is right for that family. Immigration is and always will be one of those dividing factors in our society. You see this as even our state representative, Burris Owens, who has made terrible statements about what he perceives is going on at the border and the people who are coming over. I want you to know that the people who are coming over may look and act and be just like our city councilman here in Ogden, Luis Lopez. We need to humanize what happens at the border. We need to humanize the individuals who are there who are trying to make a better life for themselves and fleeing some really dire circumstances so that they can have a better opportunity and just live so that they can just live. That's what asylum seeking is. It's that not that they just are looking for more opportunity, but they are looking for a place that they can live, a place in which they can survive. So join me in thinking about those things as you listen to this conversation and listen to all the ways in which Councilman Luis Lopez has impacted our community here in Ogden for the better. With that, our conversation with Luis Lopez. Hey everybody, we're back with Luis Lopez, Councilman Luis Lopez on the pod today. So lucky to have you back, Luis. How are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing really well, Kevin. Thank you. I appreciate it. Just uh, super happy to be here again. Well, I tell you what, last week our, our listeners got to listen to that story of yours and your history of uh, everything that you and your family went through and you coming to, to the United States and their minds are all exploding just like mine was the first time I heard that story. Well, it, it's, it's quite the story. You know, it's quite the story. and. You know, there are uh, certainly, uh, there were a lot of uh, difficult moments that we had to go through and it, 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 it carried on and it continued to uh, the journey even today, you know, yeah. uh, the, the many of the challenges just kind of carried on and, yeah. uh, you know, as we'll be talking about today, you, you'll get to hear part two and 
you know, but again, I, I always say that I will, I, I, I love the challenges because that's what builds your character. Everybody knows that. And so, you know what? It's fine. It's fine. Oh. It's, it, it is what it is. That's why you're a man of such outstanding character because those challenges were real for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So tell me, you know, you, you, you live for such a long time uh, as your family uh, was escaping uh, pressure from the Mexican government and then the United States government. And you had this, this such a period of time there where you were just, you know, your life wasn't necessarily safe. And then in 2008, you become a US, you're able to become a U.S. citizen as you find the love of your life and marry your wife. How did your life change when you became a, a United States citizen? How did that how did your experiences change uh, after that? Oh, it changed dramatically. It changed dramatically because it snowballed into the beginning of a lot of blessings for my family and I. Because uh, when I became a U.S. citizen, uh, then at that point, I was able to basically petition my mom to get her legal status. And then my mom- Tell me about that process. What does that mean? Is that when your family went to to Orrin Hatch's office and, and seek for asylum or is this through just immigration channels? So this was, this was, um, this was be before my family uh, sought asylum. The immigration, uh, as you know, you know, from just kind of what we see happening in the country, the immigration laws and the system is very complex and difficult. And so, um, yeah, that's why I think our, a lot of our listeners don't really know the process. And so right, I think like, that's, right. this is going to give us an opportunity to kind of look into it. Like yeah. you got married and then what does that mean for you? And what does that mean for your family? Yeah. <laughs> so when we, when, I don't know if we talked about these in the, in the, in the, in part one, uh, Kevin, I can remember, but uh, in, when we came from Mexico, the government here in the United States was giving us um, uh, basically they, they issued uh, work permits to all my family and th they, they call those red cards because it's a red card and those have to be renewed every year. Uh, so they gave us a social security number and red cards to be able to work legally that had to be renewed every year. But when what happened happened, which is that the government kind of really left us hanging and, you know, we kind of got betrayed. So yeah. that stopped after about five years and they claimed that they lost our papers. That's what they said. But it was probably just an excuse, right? Quote unquote, lost our because it just couldn't find our files all of a sudden. Anyway, how did so, that change? How did that change when you lost the the red card? What did well, that mean that for you and your family? Everything because because then at that point, you know, we're just in limbo. We're in limbo. We're we're you know, and millions of people here in the country live like that, and and it's terrible. We were lucky that uh, we had. Um, even though, you know, we, we had our, our, our permits to be in the United States legally, we, we were just not able supposedly to be able to work, you know, it, it sucked. It was terrible. It was terrible. So, uh, I found support from my mentor, Kevin, and that's when I married my wife, I became a U.S. citizen, uh, and but the process for me to become a U.S. citizen, that's when we contacted Orrin Hatch's office first, because my process, my application wasn't going through. It was getting it was getting hold up. It was getting held up in the system because they flagged me for some reason. So so through Orrin Hatch's help, they pushed my case. I became a permanent resident first, which is now that's a green card. So first the red card is you can work legally. You have to renew that every year. The green card uh, makes you a permanent resident, which gives you almost all the rights except the right to vote 
uh, oh yeah, like you can't be like president of the United States if you're not a U.S. citizen. Well, you can't be police officer. You can, in some cases, you can join the military. Some cases you can't. But so it was the red card. You renew it every year. The green card, it's good for ten years. But after five years, you qualify to uh, become a U.S. citizen. And if you're married to a U.S. citizen, it's only three years, not five. So because I was married to a U.S. citizen after three years, I applied to become a U.S. citizen, became a U.S. citizen. And then that's when I was able to petition my mom. We were working at that time already uh, because we had already established a connection with uh, Orrin Hatch's office. We were we had an attorney that was helping us to work things through with Senator Hatch's office. They were helping uh, they were helping us and they were evaluating our situation to see how they were going to help my family. And that's when they suggested they that's when we requested political asylum. But our attorney suggested that my mom shouldn't be a part of the process, that because I was a U.S. citizen, I could petition my mom to become a permanent resident uh, without my mom having to be part of the asylum. And I think her, her her reasoning was that when you get political asylum, if it's from Mexico, for example, you know, um, well, obviously, number one, you you can you can't travel back to the country uh, because you know the basis right. for political asylum is to say that you know your life is at risk. Right. And you know, she just made some of those arguments, and she just said it's probably better if you petition your mom. So I petitioned my mom. Does her she? got her permanent residency. The rest of my family, uh, all of them got political asylum, um, except for my dad, for my father. And that was a really interesting and kind of funny part of this whole deal because when we went to the immigration, jo- uh, immigration judge, uh, we all walked in. And, and I remember this, this was such a high, kind of high profile thing, Kevin, that when, when they used to give us our red cards that they renew every year, we had to go to the immigration office. And like one or two years, I remember when we went in, they asked all the work, all the employees, all the staff, they asked them to turn to turn around and not see us, like faced away from us so they wouldn't see us. They wouldn't see our faces. What? Yes. Why? What are they? Per- I don't know. I, I, I don't know exactly. I, I think that. I think that we were supposed to be like this really high profile, you know, under protection of the government. And it's like, you know, kind of a really big thing. But when we went to the uh, to the uh, judge to seek political asylum and we went to the court to see the judge, they clear the court. You know, usually you walk you walk into a courtroom and they are, there are other people there waiting their turn to get to hear their cases from the judge. And when we got there, the, the the judge asked to get to clear the court. And so the people that were waiting there, everybody, everybody had to uh, leave the courtroom. Anyway, so, you know, the there's a prosecutor there. So representing the government, there's our attorney and they already had these arrangements. You know, they had they had talked about these. They had a plan how they were going to approach it. And they talked, they got in front of the judge. They talked to the judge. They requested political asylum that. The prosecutor said that the government was okay, that the government wasn't going to fight this request and this petition. And then they kind of explained to the judge what the what the case was about and what was going on. And then the judge asked about my dad. He said, so, okay, after they explained kind of what happened and what was going on, he said, so where is, uh, where is Luis Lopez? Where is Mr. Lopez? And then, you know, the prosecutor and the attorney said, well, he's not here. He said, why? And they said, well, because, you know, it's kind of political and he just can't, you know, he can't be here because they're looking for him. And and he just made a face. He just made a face like, what? I mean, we're giving his family political asylum and it's all because of what happened with him. But he can't be here. We can't give him. And I mean, he he wasn't happy. The he judge wanted to give your dad political asylum, sure. but the, the but judge was wondering. And the judge thought that the, the it was just absolutely ridiculous that my dad wasn't there. 
Yeah. Wow. Interesting. But the arrangement that we had with with the senator's office didn't include my dad. Um, oh, so, oh, okay. Yeah. They okay. Didn't so the senator's office said, "We're not. We don't. We're, we're going to stick our neck out for your family, but we're not quite ready to do that for your dad necessarily." We, and so we, they, we, it, it was, it was, it wasn't that they said it directly like that. We just, we, we. It was almost like a like an unspoken, sure, kind of thing that we knew what was going on. Yeah, and and because. Because, you know, because my dad is a fugitive, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and, and his case is political. But so we went through this process. My family eventually got political asylum. And that's and what, year, we what year was that? Do you know what year that was? Oh, that's going to be hard for me to remember, uh, Kevin, really hard. I'm really bad with dates. I mean, so it's got to be like, you know, yeah, it's hard to put it that far back. But what well, I'm trying to like think of uh, establish a little bit of a timeline here because I'm thinking about you. You know, one of the things I I read in the New York Times article was kind of the juxtaposition between uh, you and and your brother, for example. And you know, if I'm thinking back at the timeline, like you know, if you were a citizen in 2008 and it took three years at least to become from the time you got your green card, that takes us back to 2005. Um, and then there was time before that where you didn't, I guess you didn't have a red card or anything, right? Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. so there's years in there from there till, yeah. uh, you know, I think the articles 2012, 2013, maybe this time frame where you're in Hatch's office. So there's like, seven plus years there where you're having some protection over the government and your brother wasn't able to. And, and it seemed like your family's life was, you know, hard during that time. And your brother's life as he was trying to help your dad and, and you were able to like get into college and, and, yeah, and get an yeah. education. And, and was that because of the, the citizenship you were able to, or, um, the green card and, and yes. the progress you were making in yes. the system yes. where your yes. brother couldn't do that at the time. Exactly. Yes. That's absolutely right. And not only my brother, but all my family. Not only my brother, but my sister too, my sister and my and 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 everyone else. Absolutely. That's absolutely right. Uh, uh, so it was a blessing that I got married and that my wife was a U.S. citizen. Because that opened the first door to um, to adjust my immigration status, which started opening more doors for for me to now, you know, well push for my green card uh, and and my permanent residency, then push for my citizenship. And there is a, you know, when 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 someone acquires citizenship. Uh, a permanent uh, permanent residency gives you, again, just pretty much all the rights that a citizen has. But once someone acquires a, U a U.S. citizenship, Kevin, even there, there it, it might be even psychological a little bit. Uh, uh, but sure. the but you feel a, a new level of protection, right? Wow. And you feel. You yeah. feel, and that's why that's why you know this is this kind of plays into the national political landscape with these immigration uh, issues that we have, where um, you know a lot of people don't want immigrants to have a path to citizenship. When people talk about uh, reform, immigration reform, and that's part of the reason why, because you know that's very powerful. It's just powerful, powerful to be able to say that and. And to be able to have that protection and, you know, probably a lot of people here, I don't know, but maybe a lot of people take it for granted. If you're born here, you are a citizen. But for immigrants, that's the jackpot. I mean, that's the big jackpot that everybody's yeah. looking for. Everybody wants. Yeah. So can you speak to a little bit of that? I know you're, it's hard to speak for your brother and sister, but can you speak to a little bit of, of, of their struggle through those times as they're kind of, they don't even have a red card right for a lot longer yeah, period for a yeah. long period of time 
How are yeah. they getting through? And and what is their what is a life like for a person that doesn't have a red card, uh, and and has gone through what your family has gone through? What 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 was that like for them? Can you speak to that struggle at all? I think the struggles that my family faced, uh, Kevin. Fortunately, for whatever reason, weren't the the greatest challenges were not related to our legal status. The greatest challenges were obviously related to the pressure that we were under because the government was after my family and 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 the consequences that that brought upon ourselves emotionally primarily okay so so it just created a lot of wreckage in my family because uh-huh. my dad couldn't be here uh my dad himself was uh very emotionally unstable that caused problems in my home with my sister my sister was unstable we were all unstable yeah yeah <laughs> so it's so it wasn't so much about having a red card or not having a red card or not having legal status it was it was it was more about all those other things it was about for a lot of times for for a long time kevin it was just this resentment you know towards the government because you know we felt that we've held our end of the deal always uh we you know a lot of people call my dad a hero. I have some friends now, like you said, fast forward to some of the things that I'm doing now. I have some friends that have run for Congress that have mentioned that they would love to know my story and know my father and have said that they would love to request at some point for my dad to be recognized in a, a state of this uh, union address by the US, by the president. And yes. that's how highly they think of my father and what he did and what my family's been through. Right. So so that's why that's those were our those were our struggles. Our struggles were struggles of emotional distress. Um, you know, my brother and my dad, they my my dad has always been an entrepreneur and so has my brother. So they didn't need a work permit to to survive and to sustain themselves financially. They 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 they've always been they've been entrepreneurs. So they made when they it work. They made it work exactly, exactly. Yeah. So they made it work yeah. that way. So anyway, yeah. that's that's. Yeah, I, I you know I really wanted to to kind of bring that up because I look at you and see how much you've contributed to our community, and and we're going to get into that here in a minute, and you know you how much you've done you've done in education and now on city council and you know none of that is possible uh really without you getting this path to your citizenship and and so you know there are so many other people i think in our community like you uh but that are being held back because there there is no path for them and they and they can't they, they so they can't contribute in the same ways that you're able to contribute because they don't have that path and the power that you talked about with when you become a citizen a citizen as um that sort of that sort of freedom and that sort of relief um that absolutely uh, absolutely Kevin you're absolutely right so when I talk about these I always paint it like this I say I'm a descendant of President Ronald Reagan's actions from 1986, when he passed immigration reform, which gave millions of people in this country um, uh, legal status. People call it amnesty. I I think that's maybe really what it is. Uh, But that's how my mom's dad, my father-in-law, and his family were able to adjust their immigration status. And so that, as a result of that, that is how my wife and her brother were able to adjust their immigration status. And as a result of that, that is Mm. how I adjusted my immigration status. And as a result of that, that is how my mom adjusted her immigration status, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? So so, so yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, 
you know, I talk about that and, you know, that, that, that's a whole other subject, right. That we can talk about for hours and hours with the immigration issues and problems. Uh, but, uh, but you're right. Um, I, I mean, I know, just so you know, I mean, I have, I have a friend and I know a, a lot of people like, like this, but I have one friend that is actually a successful entrepreneur. And there are, and these, there are millions of stories like that in the country and, and he's undocumented and he's made it work financially for him because he's smart, he's motivated, he's passionate, he's driven, etc. cetera. Um, you know, but you're right. There is this other aspect that when you become a citizen, uh, people who are very civically, who feel morally, uh, uh, the, you know, to take their civic, their civic duty uh, uh, seriously, you know, there is this other world of things that we can do to contribute to our community. And yes, a lot of people cannot do that the way that I've done it. You're absolutely right. Uh, so it's it, to me, you know, sometimes people ask me uh, when I tell the story. So I remember when I ran for office, I had a campaign. I had a, I had a campaign committee and one of my friends is uh, is a Weaver State professor uh, that was in my committee. And she didn't know my story. And when she heard my story, she was she was crying. And and then she said, and why do you want to run for city council? <laughs> <laughs> like saying, <laughs> saying, you know, you went through all these things with the government where you, basically you got screwed and now you want to be in the government. And and then I said, well, yeah, because because I want to I want to contribute to change. I want to contribute to make things different. I want to contribute to hopefully make life make life better for people, uh, give back. Um, and so, yeah, it's 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 it's. That that's a chapter in my life that was yeah. great, and 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 it's been it's been excited exciting. Well, well, she, she kind of stole my my next question, which was, uh, you know, having your experiences and having been through what you've been through. One, how did that shape your you for wanting to become a city council member? But we're going to get to that in a minute. But but first off, how did that shape your experience? in wanting to go into education and wanting to make a difference uh, there? So um, basically, basically, Kevin, um, my, a couple of things there. My dad was an educator in Mexico also, besides being in law enforcement, he was, oh. a, he was a teacher as well. So that influenced my decision. And then my mentor here in the United States was in education. So that influenced my decision. Oh, yeah. And, and when I started in education, because of those, because part of those things, um, then, you know, I, I just, I, I developed a, a, a really deep, deep and passionate uh, uh, love for learning. I remember that, uh, you know, I would tell my other mentors. So I always quote two of my mentors, Kevin and Mike. Um, and, and, you know, I would tell Mike, I would go talk to Mike and I would tell him, I say, Mike, I don't want to work in construction anymore. Um, I, I really don't want to be doing this the rest of my life. Um, and then he said, Luis, you need to go to school. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and I said, I said, and at, at one point when he said that to me, I said, well, I can't, <laughs> you know, I, you know, at, at one yeah. point when he said that to me, well, I, yeah, I, I wasn't a citizen. I wasn't a resident. I didn't qualify yeah. for financial aid. I didn't qualify for scholarships. So I can't. Right. So that's why when I could, I was so excited. Right. I was so excited to go to school. So <clears throat> I was just passionate about learning. And, you know, once I once I, I started going to school because of my dad's influence and my mentor's influence and because I started working at Mount Ford Junior High School, uh, that's kind of what got me on that path. And once I started on that path, 
when I was working at Mount Ford Junior High School, I was a mentor for at-risk youth, which now, by the way, uh, these youth, now we call them opportunity youth because we want to take out the negative name out of it. Um, I like it. Right. So, so opportunity youth, I was a mentor. And it was, I used to work for a program that was called Colors of Success, and it was a game prevention program. And I just fell in love with that career. I fell in love with it because, because you know, it's, 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 one of those, it's one of those careers where you get to make a difference. You get to really impact people's lives yeah. in the community that I, that I work, where I do a lot of and- work with it. And I you, do you probably saw yourself, you, you probably saw yourself reflected in those kids a little bit. We talked in, in the last episode about, you know, you went through some tough times and absolutely and definitely at an at-risk kid. And, and you saw yourself reflected and, and, and you saw how you were impacted by some mentors and you could give back the same way. Exactly. Exactly. Kevin. So absolutely. That's, that's exactly right. And I still do. I still see myself yeah. reflected in those kids. I, I'm still in education. And in fact, a um, little segue here or a little parenthesis here. I'm back in school because when I got my master's degree, I was transitioning to Weber State and I didn't pursue my state license to be a K-12 administrator. And after working for Weber State now for close to 10 years, I went back to school to get my K-12 administrative license. And cool. I'm, doing an inter- I'm doing an internship at Ben Loman High School now. And so I do, yes, I, I didn't do. know I, that. I, cool. Yeah, yeah. So I did I did see myself. I, I saw my story in a lot of the kids that I work with. And, and I got to, it was very powerful, not only working with the kids, but working with the families and working working with parents. Because in, in, in the work that I do, the social work that I do, the community advocacy work that I do, Kevin, these communities need people that they can trust. And a lot of times yes. just, just any, any white-collar professional becomes an advocate for uh, immigrant families. And so the schools are beacons for these phenomena. So, you know, I had parents coming to me all the time to ask me for help and support about all kinds of things that weren't related to education. That many of them were, but many of them weren't. You know, it was, you know, immigration and financial and and you know and 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 all kinds of different things. And so you become an advocate. Uh, for families and and so all of that Kevin all of that just kind of build on on these really l- big love that I have for the field of education where I see teachers being so critical we already know that in in helping uh, form and build kids but even more critical in low-income, and uh, low-income schools, low-income neighborhoods, where 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 the teachers become, you know, parent surrogates. Really, that's what they become. And so, a lot of teachers is really hard for them because the the teaching profession is already hard as it is. And so, sometimes for teachers to feel like they have to play that role is even harder. But that's just part of the package. When you work in a in a in a high impact school, um, if you are devoted to your profession, you can choose whether you want to do that or not. You just have to do it, and and the really good teachers do. They do, and the kids love them, and the kids rely on the teachers' love and passion to help them and their families. And so, that was a very long answer to your question, Kevin. It was a per- it was a perfect answer. <laughs> I, we see your passion coming through in that answer, and that's what we wanted to see, um, because of uh, of your history and and um, you know being having a couple mentors help along the way. I can see that reflected in you wanting to mentor others, um, because yeah. it really is. It takes it it, it, it when someone makes a, a a big class jump, 
in our society, there's almost always somebody that grabs them and helps them along the way. Like you said, some sort of uh, another sort of professional that's able to like intervene a little bit. And it sounds like you've been able to do that for a lot of kids. And, and that's just really uh, compelling work. But now on to the, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say what one time uh, I developed, you know, was able to help a lot of kids and families, but there was one kid that I was able to build a, a close relationship with. And because I work with a lot of Hispanic kids and a lot of Mexican families and the parents and the kids, I, culturally was easy to identify it, obviously. And, and, and just, one time I remember uh, kind of having a heart to Jesus, uh, come to Jesus, talk with, with the kid. And, you know, the style and the way that I approach these is, is not the most traditional way because I was, you know, being pretty tough on this kid, but their parents really appreciated it. And after mm -hmm. that, the relationship between me and that child was so much stronger and make it so much better. But anyway, I, I, he, I'll stop there because I can talk about this all night. <laughs> he, he, needed, he needed some tough love and you were in, in yes. the moment to give him some tough love and say, hey, it's time to straighten up. And, yes, and I, see your I see your potential. I see you and you can be, you can be more. Sounds like yeah, that kind yeah, of conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that happened, that happened all the time. So you're having all this positive impact in our community. You're helping all these kids. And like, how do you, and you, your history with government, like you, you, you know, had the, the Mexican government, the United States government, like government has, as you put it, screwed you over for a good chunk of your life and your family over for a good <laughs> chunk of your life. And you're like, I know I'm going to go into government. How did that happen? How did that happen? <laughs> Well, it happened, Kevin, because my my hope has always been to be a disruptor, a system disruptor. And so when I when I went into government, I didn't want to go into government to become a part of the status quo. I wanted to go into government to try to disrupt the system and help um improve and make things better uh it's hard it's obviously very very hard to do but i think there's been some successes that have happened and the at the end of the day it's just you have to follow your conscience and you and i follow my conscience and i follow my heart and it doesn't matter what happens as long as i'm following my conscience uh luckily i think that for the most part, things have been good. Things have been have worked out the way that I thought they would work out. And so, so you let know, me ask you this question. Let me ask mm -hmm. you this question. You talk about wanting to go into government to be a disruptor. Yes. How has that? How before you were elected? And you had this kind of vision of yourself on city council and how you were going to accomplish that goal. How has that uh, goal been the same as you got into council or how has it been different? How is it, 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 is it what you thought it was going to be in there as a disruptor? It's been a little bit different. It's been a little bit different than what I thought it was going to be. Uh, I thought it was going to be easier and it's not. It hasn't been easy. Uh, <clears throat> but you know what, uh, Kevin, that's, that's the way it is. That's the way we learn. We all learn by experiences and we all learn by, by mistakes, by making mistakes, by trial and error. That's just a human experience. So I've been there for five years, a little over five years. And, uh, and so I realized that uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a steep hill to climb. Uh, there's so much to learn. Um, at the end of the day, um, it's really about building alliances in government. In the in this case, is that the part council. of the thing that you is that part of the things that's specific that you didn't quite 
know yes. was going to have to happen yes. is yes. this exactly. alliance building. Yeah, 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 you couldn't yeah. just go. You wanted to maybe go in and throw bombs, and you couldn't you couldn't yeah. do it the way you thought you could. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yes, and that's exactly right. I did. I threw the bombs, and you know, and nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would throw the bombs, and 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 there was a, a you know, it, it just backfired. Um, you'd, you'd throw a bomb, and it would just go poof in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably, probably. Uh, so, so yeah, you're you're right, Kevin. It's it's just it's it's such a it's such a um, difficult dilemma to deal with something like that because. You know, when you when you get in to uh, something like that, like an elected official, and you have these ideas and these ideology about being a disruptor, there's there's such a fine balance that you have to walk because, on one hand, you know, okay, you want to be a disruptor, you're gonna make a lot of people uncomfortable, uh, and on the other hand. You piss enough people off, you make enough people comfortable, you make enough enemies, then you are not able to, you, you, you won't be able to accomplish things. Uh, you can be a voice and you can speak your mind and yell all you want, but you won't be successful as far as maybe uh, achieving important policy decisions or policy things and, 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 and you know, things like that. So that's why it's so difficult. It's part of the experience, and I wouldn't change it for anything. I think that we build this culture in our city government where we can have uh, good debates um, and we can have robust debates when we need to have uh, have them, and we respect each other. We, we, we come out, we're, we respect each other. I'm friends with many of the council members and, and, and outside of the chambers, we hang out. And sometimes we're in the chambers, we disagree and we're like, and that's what happened last Tuesday. I was like, you know, I have a different point of view than council member hire about this. And I kind of spoke my mind. And, you know, Angela was, spoken her, was speaking her mind. And, and uh, but we leave there and then, and then, you know, we can go and have dinner with our wives, you know, it's really cool. And so before this, before this, um, I think in the Godfrey era, I think there was a lot of contention between the council and the mayor, between the council and the administration. And I think I wasn't there. You're talking about, you're hear, talking about my Aunt Mary right now. My Aunt Mary. Oh, and yeah. You know these stories. <laughs> you know these stories better than, better than I do. Okay. So everybody knows the story. Mary likes to throw bombs. <laughs> yeah. Everybody knows Everybody knows the stories then. You know, and, every, you know, the people that follow Oregon politics know what I'm talking about. And it was, well, I guess it was pretty bad, right? It was pretty bad. And so our, I feel like our really kind of a legacy that we're building is that it doesn't have to be that way. Um, and we can still accomplish what we want to accomplish and we can have robust debates and discussions, but we don't have to play games and we don't have to be, uh, so polarized, uh, like usually you see at the state and maybe federal level. And, and I love that. And, 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 and I've been a part of building that. Yeah. I, it, it sounds like a challenge, you know, uh, and, and, you know, it sounds like, um, yeah, there's there's a it's it's different than it looks like from the outside as you're trying to navigate uh, personal relationships and and also to accomplish your goals and and the things that that you want to accomplish. How tell me about walking that line, right? Because there's you've got things that you want to accomplish that are more progressive, maybe um, on the city council. There and, and and there's a few others on the city council. Maybe just to, to have a few other progressive items that they want to accomplish do you how do you know when push or and do you think it's it's do you think maybe challenging those friendships a little bit in a place where you're really going after some of some things you care about more how do you make that balance and where where do you find that place so the conclusion i've come to kevin is that um we are 
we are really the the council in in our cities at a really great disadvantage because we we are part time council members. Yeah. So you know, for most for for most people on the council, it's very hard to dedicate too much time to the council. So we rely on some on 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 some really really great staff that. Uh, do a lot of the work so that when we come to council meetings, you know, we we get to hear, we get to we get uh, the presentations are done. You know how that works, and then you know we we have we have discussions, and then we kind of vote on things. And a lot of uh, a lot of the uh, sausage making, we don't get to see. Um, I give credit to the administration also for doing a really good job at bringing things to us. You know, they have their agenda that they're pursuing and they bring things to things to us that are pretty well uh, researched and pretty well, uh, pretty well built. And so that's why most of the times the council approves everything that they bring to us most of the times i think i don't know probably 90 percent or 95 percent. i mean we have a really high rate you know they do a good job about that but what i always say is the administration has their agenda and that's fine they have to pursue their agenda and council members have agendas too our disadvantage is that we're part-time and that there's seven of us and so that was part of something that some council members and I were working when I got elected. We were trying to send that message to the council that we needed to work together on a common, on some common goals to accomplish things. But that was hard. That was hard because some council members didn't think that way and didn't see it the same way. And rightfully so, you know, is their way of seeing things. Uh, so basically, basically, Kevin, what I what I've come to the, my latest realization from from my the time that I've been at the council has been that that the count that our council, I believe, as a council, collectively, we don't do enough to enact our powers as legislators, um, basically. We don't enact legislation. Uh, so some people would call that a rubber stamp council. And some people don't like to hear that because they think that's a negative thing. I don't see it as a negative thing. I just see it is what it is. It's the truth. <laughs> you know, now, not always, you know, not always. We ask good questions. We ask questions and, 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 uh, and, you know, when we need to have some pushback, there's pushback. But for the most part, like I said, things get approved all the time for the most part. So what I would like to see is this. So I'll tell you some of the things that I started talking about when I started going to the council. I'll just throw them out real quick. I was saying, all right, I would like to see interns assigned to each council member so that each council member can work on initiatives that we want to pursue and we don't have to necessarily rely on leadership uh, to see what we cool. can, so to see what we can present and what initiatives we can try to present and what initiatives. That was very unwelcome, uh, obviously. Um, you know, and then what were the reasons? It was money. What, what, what were the what were the reasons they shot down that, those ideas? Just curious. It, it seems like some power that you know that's some you know, giving over. Power yeah, I or? think that's what it was. Yeah, I think that's what it was, really. Uh, you know, and and because really, my my argument, Kevin, was again. Uh, you know, I had a I had some conversations. You know, I sat in the council, and we were we were we were hinted that new council members. It's hard for new council members to accomplish things that we want to do because we're new. Yeah, we were we were Learn, kind there's of a learning curve. Yeah, yeah, right. But you know, when when we were told that, my colleague and I that were new, we didn't like it. The way that it was presented to us, we didn't appreciate that, and we didn't like it because we were really passionate, right? And we're like, and that was, 
And that was actually part of the reason that got us more riled up. That got that got us more more passionate about saying, "Oh, we will accomplish certain things that we want to do." Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and and then and then um, and then I remember one experience, you know, where, for example, you know, I I one of my passions is boxing. Uh, there are a lot of underground boxing programs around our city and underground meaning you know coaches in garages teaching kids and you know I kept talking about that when I got elected and I kept talking to people and I was looking for support from people from the council and I talked to people and some people brushed me off and some people said to me you just got to talk to people and find support and I always kept saying after a few years that another push that I made very strongly was I push our council to rethink the way we elect our leaders on the council. So our chair and vice chair, because I believe that electing these leaders should be um, very meaningful and very purposeful as to why we are electing people to represent us and as to how they're going to represent us and what they're going to do. So what I was saying was, if I were in leadership, my job, the way I see it, is to help our council succeed and to help council members be successful individually as well. So help our council as a whole and help council members, especially the new ones that don't know yeah. how things work, that don't know the ropes, that don't understand, that don't know, I would figure I would figure out a way to welcome people, to build alliances, to make them feel comfortable, to welcome them to, welcome them to, uh, to a family. So, you know, those are just a couple, Kevin. There were awesome. a lot more. Awesome, there Luis. There were a lot yeah. more, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean... I can tell you're you're passionate, and your your life and your experiences totally speak for themselves about what you're you, you've accomplished and and are accomplishing. I want you to tell leave us with something that you are passionate about right now, whether it is in Ogden with the city council, whether it is within uh, education, uh, mentorship, whatever. Tell us what you're passionate about right now, and how maybe. Uh, some of our listeners can can help that cause. Oh, that's really hard to just pick one. <laughs> <laughs> you can pick two, three. <laughs> you always, pick you always got one. lots of irons in the fire, don't you? <laughs> I'll just name a few. So one is, for example, you know, I I'm the co-founder of an organization here in Auburn that is called Lubeck. Um, and LUPEC stands for Latinos United Promoting Education and Civic Engagement. And we do a yearly event at the Union Station. And last time we did it before the pandemic, we had more than a thousand people that came. And our oh. goal, uh, some of our goals with that event is to help bring unity in the Hispanic community and and help the Hispanic community reach places where we can have more representation. It's very hard to do because all the other stuff that are going on and because we're volunteers trying to build this nonprofit organization. And by the you, way- wait, you, you founded this organization? That yes. You said? Yes. You founded this organization and you run an event that has a thousand people show up to it? Yes. That's a big yes. freaking deal. Like that's yes, a big I, I, deal to get a thousand yeah, people I, to show up to anything in this city is like nearly I, impossible. That's a huge co, deal. I, I, I'm a co-founder. I'm a co-founder. We have me and my friend and I both co uh, found uh wow found uh fun, founded uh Lupec, my friend Olokio. And so together, yes, we've had we've done events where we've had way over a thousand people, probably closer to two thousand people. We're going to post some links. I want you to send me some links to the organization. Um, we can donate money or we can show up to some events and, and, and that sort of thing. So we're going to post those in the show, show notes so, so our listeners can uh, see that organization and what that organization is doing. Yeah, yeah. So, so Go like the Facebook page. Dan says there's a Facebook page. We'll post a link to the Facebook page. Go yeah. like 
the Facebook oh, page. Yeah, yeah. He, he it up. So last year we were going to bring, I'm passionate about part of the things we do with Lupic is that we, you know, um, we always use culture as a vehicle to accomplish our goals um, and to inspire our community. And so last year I was going to, I was going, I organized a, something to bring Mexico's folkloric ballet from the University of Guadalajara, which is an international ballet to come to Ogden. And it was all, it was all ready to go and the pandemic killed, killed it. It was all ready to go. Oh. Uh, something else that I'm very passionate about, Kevin, is, you know, I'm very passionate about, um, about, about boxing um, because I, hold on, I'm getting emotional and I don't like it. What? No, I, I like it, Luis. <laughs> I like it. Tell us, tell us why. Tell us, tell us why you're getting emotional when you're talking about boxing. I I would get emotional throughout my career, Kevin, about about a lot of things and about many times when, you know, in the work that I do, you know, it's just it becomes really difficult to uh, uh, see how people who um, uh, who have disadvantages in our community uh it, it's so hard for them to find ways to be successful and to feel safe and to uh to to feel a part of the community where 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 they live and where we live so all throughout my career here in in Ogden i i have experienced these feelings from our community feelings of fear uh, not belonging, uh, living in the shadows, not being able to live and have uh, similar opportunities as other groups of people. Uh, and so boxing is one that is just, it, it would, well, it's been since I've been on the council. Um, since I started on the council, it's always been important to me. I, I'm going to throw a challenge at you, Kevin. I, I sent you a, 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 a Netflix uh, episode <laughs> of oh, yes. boxing series, and you will know why if you if you watch that. So boxing is just a really big deal in Mexico. It's a really big deal, uh, and it's a really big deal in the United States, especially for kids uh, and for youth that come from disadvantaged backgrounds, because uh, boxing is not an expensive sport. Boxing is a it's a relatively very inexpensive sport. Uh, you just have to show up and you have to show your your passion and grit, um, and and that's why uh, uh, Hispanic kids and African American kids um, are so good at it and dominate the sport in this country. And so, I just see a lot of our kids that are training in gyms. Um, without proper equipment and without proper facilities. And, and so, uh, you know, I've been trying to find a place for these kids to train. There's an issue with liabilities where some organizations are scared that if someone gets hurt, they're going to get sued. But, you know. Hey, listen, I, I want to juxtapose this with, you know, I just went to Ogden City uh, and picked up my son's baseball gear right and mm -hmm. there's a bunch of employees that work to make this happen i got a bag full of gear i got balls i got you know and i got all this i got all this stuff that's supported by the city for for recreation and uh you know those balls are hard those kids are going to get a bloody nose they're going to break a nose they're going <laughs> to yeah. chip a tooth they're going to you know they're they're, they're going to get hit in the face you know yeah and and i I really liked what you said when you said that there's it's a there's a hard, a lot of kids have a hard time finding a place where they can be successful and safe. And I could see that for you 
boxing and for a, a community that you want to serve, that boxing could be that place. And I don't think most people think of it like that, a place that could be successful and safe. A safe yeah. community, a safe place <laughs> yeah. is boxing. Yeah. And I just love yeah. that actually. I love that concept that 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 boxing could be this safe place and successful place for kids. And that it actually, like, why couldn't it be community supported the same way that like like baseball is and 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 all and other other sports are as well? And that's you're, what you you're, were trying to push, right? You're absolutely right, Kevin. You're absolutely right. Um boxing obviously has a stigma that's part of the work that i try to do in the community kevin is i try to build bridges between both the cultures between the uh mainstream white culture and the hispanic culture and and i try to build bridges um because i understand and i navigate both cultures and and i can speak to both cultures and 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 i can bring people together uh, and so there is a stigma about boxing, but you're absolutely right. Uh, I got my son starting into boxing because he was coming home from school telling me that he wanted to fight. Telling me that he wanted to fight kids at school because they were bothering him and they were bothering him for his friends. And and I keep telling him, well, you can't do that. You, you can't fight. Uh, and, you know, he kept pushing me and pushing me. And then one day I told him, I said, look, you don't even know how to fight. Uh, you get in a fight, you you fight with someone that knows how to fight, and you're going to get beat up. And I told him, if you want to fight, not because I wanted you to fight, but it was just my way of getting him excited or getting him into it. I said, if you want to fight, you need to train first. And I knew that once he became, once he trained, and if he was persistent, that he his outlook about what he was doing would change, and it did. It worked exactly that way. He's been training now for I don't know three or three or four years, and you know he's 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 really good uh, as a dad. I have to say that, and <laughs> and now he doesn't want to fight. Anyway. I was just gonna say, and once he learned to fight in the boxing ring, he went to school and kicked everyone's asses, right? Like, no, no, got in fights. Got... <laughs> not <laughs> exactly. at all. That's not how no, it happened. It's the, it's the exact opposite. Oh yeah, it's the exact opposite. He doesn't want to fight anymore. Because I tell him, and now he knows, he builds his self self confidence about himself, and you know he goes and 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 you know, and he he understands two things. He understands that he could hurt a kid, he could hurt someone else if he fights with somebody, and he also understands that he could get hurt if he fights with someone that is better than him because he gets he feels those punches when he's sparring. But besides that, besides this, Kevin, it's just, it's also about, you know, like when I send you that, uh, when I send you the message uh, uh, to you and, and, and our friend Ben, and then Ben wrote something, if you want to understand the Mexican culture, you need to understand boxing, <laughs> like boxing and food or something like that. And so it yeah. goes way, way beyond that, which is, it's just, it's just, it's, just it's, it's a national pride, you know, it's a big deal. So anyway, uh, I, I took way too long to answer your question, Kevin. I'm sorry, but uh, so it was Lupec, it was boxing, and I'm involved in a lot of things. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm trying to get my license to, you know, who knows what's going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to become a principal, but that's my passion. Education is my passion too. Awesome. I've been doing awesome. some things already. Uh, you know, I was invited to speak to kids at, at a high school. Kids, uh, the Oregon School District has a kind of a Spanish immersion program and is really, really good. Uh, and they asked me to come to, to uh, get interviewed by the students at the high school. And, uh, and uh, they're also working on, the school district I believe is working on building a bridge program to help students that are learning English, ESL students to um, get into more concurrent enrollment, uh, early college classes. And so they want to work with them in the summer to help them and give them extra support. So I, I, you know, that's another one of my passions. Incredible, Luis. Well, you know, I really got to see that passion as you, as you talked about all of those things, especially as you talked about boxing and, and the impact it can have on, it's had on you and that it can have on, on others in our community. And I feel like, there's some storytelling that needs to go on behind that 
um, and some vision that we could put out into the community about about what that could be and what that could look like and um, and how it could influence uh, a community here. So let us know how we can help with that vision and, and anything else you're working on uh, because you're an important part of our community and we and we want to push push forward uh, progress here in, in Ogden to help lift uh, any of those that are are, are in, in less fortunate circumstances. And a lot of the programs you're talking about are exactly that. Uh, thank you, Kevin. Thank you so much. Uh, and, and thank you, uh, Dan, also uh, for having me and inviting me. Uh, it's been really, really fun. Hey, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. And uh, congratulations on being our first two-part guest because your story was that awesome. We had to break it down in two parts. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Kevin. I really appreciate it too. Uh, and we'll be in touch. And God bless. And that's it for the show today. As always, want to thank Decker Yazi for our artwork and August the Great for our theme music. Dan Martinez, always doing a great job on the back end with the production. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Hey, and while you're at it, send this episode to a friend. You know, rate us on iTunes. Do one of those things. Have a great day. Community Spread is a Deep State Media production. It's produced by me, Kevin Lundell, and directed and edited by Dan Martinez.